Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Robert? I'm feeling like a collector. Are you? This interview that we're doing today got me thinking a lot about the odd uh, phenomenon Mm. that happened to both of us in our lives, which is that we became collectors. And that from a young age, both of us were obsessed with, like, putting Acquiring things. Yeah, acquiring things and putting things in boxes and collecting different things. So when we were kids, both Russell and I collected weird objects. Yeah, I collected rocks and minerals, uh, phone cut. Agate is a, is a mineral, correct? Yeah. Geodes and amethyst <laughs> and quartz. But I collected phone cards. Remember you used to have phone cards that had the pictures on? Big time. Yeah, I used to collect them. I used to collect like, uh, what were they called? The cabbage patch dolls. Kid things. No, no, but they had like a, an evil version that were like the garbage <laughs> the garbage. Oh, garbage dolls. pal kids. Yeah, no, the no. stickers. Yeah, something like that. Exactly. You used to get bubble gum with so them. I used to get these kind of cards and collect those. Yeah. I was I really. Stickers, yeah. I went to school with a guy whose sister was, was Ulrika Johnson. The web that she was. collected Ulrika Johnson. No, 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 wait. I'm not. And this is a Really interesting story, oh, people. Gosh. So she was a weather person on uh, TVAM. Yeah, yes, and um, she then went on to a TV show called Gladiators. Yes. So I became obsessed with, with the gladi- gladiators. I had the gladiator toys. I had the whole of my bedroom was like walled ceiling, everything with pictures of gladiators and Ulrika. And she gave me like signed. We used to go round to his house, oh, to Christian Brody's house, and she would give us like signed. Was she with Hunter at the time then? Because wasn't she dating Hunter for a while? I wasn't interested. I was just interested. I was too young to even think about oh, things right. like that. I would just was in awe of her. She was like an icon to me. I had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles but not the ninja as hero because we weren't allowed ninja in the UK because it was too violent and then as an adult it's grown into art but also I got really <laughs> into collecting ceramics and objects like vessels yes. kind of like bowls and things like yes. that and you've actually bought me a vessel that has been created artistically by our guest today that's mm. right I, I have about 12 of our guests' uh, ceramics. <laughs> Fantastic. Too many. I, and actually, I thought I was your biggest collector, but was told by Juro Alawu, the incredible curator and fashion designer, yeah. that actually, no, I'm not your biggest collector. And I was really disappointed. <laughs> who, who is? Juro is? Or? No, there's another, there's an amazing woman, I think, who has bought more than me. But wow. I've got 12 of your works, which admittedly is quite a lot. That is very good. Yeah. Yes. Keep so it going. We That's would it. like to welcome the curator, the gallerist, and also an incredible artist in his writer own right. And, and a collector. writer and collector. <laughs> So many Anything. different names to describe you. Tommaso Corvimora. Thank you so much, guys. Welcome. So How nice are you? to be here. This is great. It's so nice to have you here, Tommaso. Now, we're trying to work out, just before we came in here, how do we say your name? Because me and Rob call you Tommaso, as if you've got two Zs, but it's spelt with two Ss. How do people say your name? Okay, 
So my name has two M's mm. and one S,、mm-hmm. right? Oh, there you go. I've always written it with two S's. <laughs> Everyone does. Oh, everyone <laughs> does. So it's so now it kind of does have one M and two S's as well. Uh huh. Like I've got many aliases because of that. So and and then you would pronounce it Tommaso. Tommaso. So you're Italian. I'm Italian. Where from Italy are you from? I am a from. I'm from a small town called Piacenza. Where's、which、that? is between Milan. It's not that small, actually, but it's between Milan and Genoa. And I was I was born there,、uh, raised between there and Milan. So, and I lived in Italy until I was in my early twenties. And is Tommaso a common Italian name? Now it's much more common than it used to be when I was growing up. Right. Actually, now there's there's lots of people that are in their teens that are called Tommaso, but. I, I I was the only Tommaso I knew. Is it just is it Tom like we would say Tom or is it? It is Tom, and people people in Italy call me Tom, the equivalent、right. of, of Tom, which is Tom. Tom. Yeah. Do they like hold the M a bit? Yeah. Because you've got a double M. Tom. Love that. No, it's just with it's. So it's not Tom, but it's Tom. And、exactly. your your surname, which is Corvi Mora,、yeah. is actually the name of your incredible gallery that's、yeah. in South London as、yeah. well. So we're a very tiny family with that surname. Wow! Wow! <laughs> and when、cool. did you come to London? <laughs> I came to London in ninety five, and I opened the gallery in ninety six. And that was with Gregorio Man- Magnani. Yeah, with Gregorio Magnani, who's an incredible guy. We we met in Cologne. Okay.、Um, and at the time, I was、um, we sort of met in ninety two. I I started like you guys.、Mm-hmm. I started really young. I started working in galleries when I was nineteen. So that was my first job. Did you know that was a world you wanted to go into at that age? Yes. Yes. How yes. come? So, what was your influences early on to make you go down that route? Well, it was. I was kind of mildly interested in in art, and then、uh, I I moved to Milan to do to start my university course, and I I actually graduated in law. Oh right. Yeah. So I have no kind of formal education、right. in art history whatsoever.、Mm-hmm. Love that. Self-taught. Yeah, self-taught. Yeah, exactly. We're all self-taught. We're all self-taught,、yeah. and it works, right? I think the best people are. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Self-taught. <laughs> so you, so you went to go and work for the galleries, and you got into the gallery system. And then when you was there at nineteen, did you like visualize yourself running a gallery at one point? Or? Well, no, even even prior to working for galleries, I knew that I wanted to run a gallery. Really?、Wow. Yeah. Because so many people、yeah. who run galleries actually start. Off as artists, so they go down that route,、Not、or they're、me. curators, or they're. No, they came much later. Right, right, right. <laughs> wow. So you knew from that age you wanted your own gallery space. You wanted to. You wanted to look after, manage artists. That's right. I wanted to.、Um, it, it all really、uh, started when I discovered contemporary art, and you know, it wasn't that. I mean, in, I suppose that in the nineties that was true. Across the board and everywhere in, in in Europe and in the US, but in Italy for certain, it wasn't that visible contemporary art. But I just found this book on Joseph Boys, yeah, and I was completely blown away. I thought there is this, there are these, the, you know, this is incredible. The felt, the copper,、mm. the. Do we talk about the felt suit? And we're talking about、like- yeah, and you know, explaining art to a dead hair and these incredible performances and actions that he did. And I was like, there is, there are these people clearly out there who are using images and objects and materials to kind of make sense of who they are and 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 make sense of the world they live in. Yeah. And I was completely blown away. So I fell in love with it, you know, head on a hundred percent. And I thought to myself, pretty much there and then, it was almost as if I was, you know, struck by lightning. I I I, I told myself, I am. 
going to open a gallery and I'm going to help artists exhibit their work. Wow. Help that them is work. such a cool story. And I it, love the idea that Joseph Boyce like inspired did you. you. Did yeah. you ever meet him? No, because he was dead already. Oh, he was. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he just died, literally. Uh, uh, and um, no, and it, it was it, it made it really easy for me. You know, so it's there. I think it's, you know, in my experience, the 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 early 20s are the hardest part of anyone's life because you're a grown up, but you have to figure out who you are. And, you know, you're not an adult, really. You're, you have so much to learn and you have so, so, so much experience to sort of gain still. And you're just very confused and you see them. And, you know, many people are very, very confused. Um, and I never was. Because I always, you know, then it's just a question of figuring out a way to get there, which is so easy. Once you know what you want, you yeah, know, that's the, the problem is really that. What were the galleries like in Italy then when you first started? <laughs> well, it was incredible. It was really, really amazing. It was fantastic. It was, it was very small, the art world in Milan, but it was incredibly sophisticated. So you had people like Massimo De Carlo, yes. uh, Claudio Guenzani, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Pasquale Recese. Who has These are all gallery. gallerists. These are all galleries. Yeah. This guy who has a gallery, who's, who uh, who was the uh, Monica Spruth's partner for many years, who was an incredible, I owe him actually so much. Thank you, Pasquale. <laughs> and, uh, and at the beginning, the first gallery I worked uh, for was called... Um, the galleries was called Claudia Gianferrari. And she was someone, it was really lucky because she was someone who came from dealing in sort of early 20th century Italian art. Arta Povera work or? Much earlier than that. Right. From okay. the 20s to the 50s, more right, or less. Right. Right. Like De Chirico, uh, Martini, Pirandello, you know, the, the Savino, that whole kind of generation. Uh, and she decided she wanted to open a contemporary art gallery. Cool. And I knew her. Uh, through my family and I said look can I be your first assistant can I help you set this thing up and she said yeah why not and so I started so at 19 I actually helped her you know just getting everything organized in the gallery doing the storage space and this and that and it was an incredible learning experience because you know I, I, I wasn't I wasn't risking anything, but I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah, I, I'm getting excited hearing this story because <laughs> I can imagine it's a bit like when I started working for Carl Friedman. But oh that God. that kind of excitement you have when you know exactly what it is you want to do, and then some somehow someone's given you an opportunity to have a platform to like participate in in that world you love so it's much. A, it's a relief and it's a comfort. Isn't oh, it's it? so I guess. exciting. It's like someone just patting you on the back and going like pushing you forward and going, "Go on in." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just that encouragement and having that affirmation at that age is so important. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. I was, I was, you know, I've always been very lucky in my life, really, and I hope it continues. Uh, but that was a very lucky break because it's, uh, and she was amazing. She was incredible. She died, unfortunately, very young. Um, now I think it's, it's, it's at least 10 years ago. Um, uh, but she was incredibly generous. She was someone who, you know, when I, then left the gallery, moved on, and I, she would always come to me at art fairs and buy work by by my young artists. Really? I mean, she was yeah, and she so did that supportive. with lots of people, wow. lots of young galleries. She was incredible. So, what what when did you make the move from an Italian gallery to opening your own one in London, and why did you feel like you needed to move to London to do that? Well, I st- I was um, I was very lucky because uh, uh, early on I started. You know, by meeting uh, people who had this, like Pasquale Recese, who had this connection with Cologne, mm-hmm. 
I realized that Germany was a really important uh, center for the art world and Cologne in particular. Mm -hmm. So I started studying German. Uh, uh, I started traveling to Germany and um, and spending time in Cologne, just hanging out and going to galleries and everything. And one of the first uh, uh, jobs I had, because in the summer I would uh, uh, get like summer jobs, was uh, working on um, Alighiero Boetti's exhibition at this Kunstverein in Bonn in 92, mm -hmm. wow. which was the last survey of his work that was done while he was alive. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. so interesting. And this is the guy that uses uh, stitches, letters into sequences, like in, in uh, kind of grid work, isn't it? Yeah. He kind of mind and mind and mind. Yes, he's, some, he's someone who started as an Arte Povera artist yes. um, in the mid-60s and then in the early 70s realized that actually he... You know, Arte Povera was just becoming too much about the materials, mm -hmm. and he wanted to go back. The, and sorry, Arte Povera, just for people listening, was yeah. a, was a, a contemporary art movement that happened in Italy post war. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's right. It's it, and it was really about. Uh, it's it's one of the uh, last, you know, with post minimalism, one of the last kind of proper modernist movements, mm -hmm. and it's about truth to materials, reconnecting with the earth, reconnecting with uh, uh, kind of natural rhythms, mm -hmm. and they're incredible. I mean, it, and and it mostly happened in this city called Turin, which was the most industrial, you know, where Fiat cars were made, which was the most industrial city in in, in Italy. Um, and yes, and working with working with Alighiero Boetti on this show was an amazing experience. I would go to his studio in Rome, no and, uh, yeah, the Pantheon, and he would smoke uh, joints from morning to night. And like the, he had a drum set in the studio, would start playing the drums, and then you know send his assistant down to buy like a hundred magazines, and because magazines were like the equivalent of the internet. Then, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. So he would just start leafing through magazines, and he would use these images. So people know know the embroideries, but the work is actually incredibly complex and beautiful, and actually very simple because it's really about like being out in the world, absorbing images, experiences, sounds, and and taking them back into the work. Right. Um, and he's amazing. So that was that was a uh, for me was one of one of really like the kind of pivotal experiences. Um, of of my formative years. And that was in Cologne. In Cologne, in ninety two. And then, so then after that, you then after that, I moved to Cologne, right? Because uh, I wanted to leave Italy for lots of reasons, you know, <laughs> okay. Italian families, right? And also because I felt that I really wanted to engage um, um, professionally at all levels, and and Italy, unfortunately, now it's these days it's a lot better. But back then, it had a very, very meager kind of uh, uh, public infrastructure of support to contemporary art and artists. Right. Uh, and I felt that somehow, if I wanted to do things in a certain way, since I was so young, it was good to just get out and see what I could what I could do elsewhere. So I moved to Cologne. I worked with uh, Esther Schipper for really? a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Was, I don't know who that is. She's a really good gallerist. All oh, right. Um, yeah, I think she has a space now in um, in Berlin. Berlin. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and she was amazing. She was amazing, and she worked with many, many artists that I really loved, uh, like uh, Dominique Gonzalez Furster, okay. who's a friend. Who you work with? Or who I work, work with? with. Yeah, yeah no, you I represent her now, with. don't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, I've known her for thirty years, and she's like my my sister. 
Um, and Liam Gillick, Angela Bullock, Philippe Pereno, Pierre Wieg. I mean, it was an incredible wow. group of people. Pierre arrived later, but he was always part of it. And um, and at the time, Esther didn't really have any money at all. So I would like, you know, lay down the carpet in, <laughs> in the gallery <laughs> office for like two days. And I'm not particularly good as a carpet layer. You know, yeah, it's yeah. something that you need to know how to do. Well, she gave me like a cutter and a roll of brown carpet. <laughs> no way. <laughs> So you were kind of like doing any odd job you possibly could yeah. to be part of the the gallery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but, amazing. You know, but I was like 22, 23, so yeah. I didn't care. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so exciting to be laying carpet in Cologne. You know? wow. But also, and money wasn't a drive at that age then, I guess. You were saying like you didn't have any money, but it feels like the art was the thing that kept you going. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I've also had the luck of never being absolutely penniless right because my my family has always been very supportive of oh, me right, right, right. um uh so i had you know i had a, a house esther however did not have any money at all so the gallery was really run on a, on a shoestring no it was amazing and i spent like two fantastic years you know and and there is also at that time there weren't that many young people who were who would engage with the with the art world um you know who wanted to be like you know to work in a gallery and stuff so it was great because people thought i was kind of funny because i was this big puppy sort of like wow, <laughs> enthusiastic so and, and also, jumping I think about working you know? with esther must have been great because she has such a good eye and also such integrity yeah and i think artists love her yeah so in a way that's a great template to kind of like you, you know, follow on from and to, and I guess you've actually ended up working with Liam Gillick as well, no? I worked with Liam for 15 years. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you must have yeah. then had no. relationships that you developed while yeah. working at that gallery that you then brought to London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is yeah, so yeah. nice. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Then, you know, the interesting thing that happened, I have so much respect for Esther. I think she's incredible. And the way, I think her gallery is really unique within the landscape because yeah. she um, does so much work in the background to facilitate the production of these works by her artists who in most cases are not studio artists, you know, in the sense that the, these are not people who work in their studio, make the work and the work then gets sent to the gallery. These are people who don't have a studio, uh -huh. uh, who work with fabricators and have ideas. And then the ideas usually materialize within the context either of a gallery or a public institution. So they're more conceptual. They're, they're, yeah, exactly. Okay, right. they're, they're sort of... Uh, um, I think they, they are really the real conceptual artists because there's not, it's so hands off, yeah. you know, and it's all about kind of making things An happen. An idea. An idea. It's the journey yeah. to get to the finished piece, but the actual making of it, the, the discovery of it is the, is the art itself. Yeah, exactly. Which is how do you then, how do you as a gallerist really make that happen financially i guess or make yeah. that as something yeah where is your role in that yeah it's like it's like shooting a film you know you're you're you you have to invest so much money before anything happens mm -hmm. you have to coordinate all these people organize all these logistics i could never do it yeah i like you know i really I, you <laughs> like artists with studios yes yes yeah, yeah, also, yeah. It's, it's quite a visionary thing to be a gallerist like that and to be, it's yeah. almost like being a film producer or a record producer or something and having that belief in some in someone's talent yeah that because it, it's not a material thing in front of you yeah you like, I, be, I agree with tomazi like i love being a gallerist where you work with people who make paintings yeah and things, but you must have to be to, have, have to be a conceptual gallerist <clears throat> representing conceptual artists you must financially be able to support yourself because so many times you might be putting on a show that's literally just breeze like ryan gander made a work called breeze yeah now, i don't know how you would 
sell that if that artist you're representing is that's the work they give you it's like how do you so you have to be in a financial situation like like an institution i guess institutionally to be able to support artists like that yes i mean and obviously you know i think that over over the decades these artists works have become a lot more ambitious in terms mm. of technology materials mm. you know at the beginning they were working exactly with the same attitude and and, and in the same way but everything was a lot simpler somehow to produce those artists you know, that she believed in and supported yeah. and facilitated the work of have become like globally recognized artists yeah. Who are we and talking showing about? in museums like um, like you know like all these people like uh, Liam Gillick oh, okay. Pierre Wieg right, right, and right. Philippe Pereno and you know all, all yeah, of them yeah, yeah. yeah like still... if you think of Pereno Pereno just had that amazing installation at Tate Modern yes. and then um, Huig has done so many institutional shows I actually whenever saw you a say his one... name I just think of that, that pink legged dog that you had at Venice Biennale yeah 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 yes, exactly yeah, that yeah. was amazing yeah. I mean he's an incredible artist I and I, I love the piece with the bees because yeah. I went to Cologne actually with one of my artists Edith De Kint she was doing a show there and in the local big museum there was his solo show which was remarkable yeah, yeah. I mean Pierre Huig is such a great artist he's amazing but you know without the support of that gallery you know a lot of his work might never have been realised mm. and that is why I love being a gallerist and even just being a collector or supporter of contemporary art because I love this idea that you're helping to facilitate and actually the creation of new art you're part of that emerging artist totally it's you so are. exciting yeah and you see what what is so interesting I think about that group of artists is that they, they, they have visibility here in the UK and in the US. They've yeah. done things, but really, uh, their careers have really happened elsewhere, like right. in Europe and 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 sort of east of Europe, you know, uh, uh, eastwards from there, as it were. In the sense that it's not, and that I think is also really kind of cool somehow not to have this dependency, cultural dependency from the US, mm-hmm. you know, and to have built a whole kind of scene. Uh, and and very complex and sophisticated histories of art making mm. without really kind of involving the US. Do you find that frustrating that so much of the art market is about involving the US? Well, you know, no, actually. <laughs> no, I, I love... I love dealing with uh, Americans. I I am very interested in American culture. I love my artists that I work with that are from from the US. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I don't know. I think that there's a there's a, a kind of direct exchange that's just so kind of precious yeah. with with everyone there, and yeah. I, and I really love it. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm really happy that there's other people who do other things. There's other you know? options. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And actually, I think that's expanded more and more over the last mm-hmm. decade or so. Mm-hmm. It's been fascinating to see all these different countries who are beginning to get interested in art. Like if you think of like South Korea, for example, I have yeah. so many amazing collectors now in Seoul. And they're so passionate and so excited because a lot of the Western art is new to them. Yeah. And they already had their own great artists right. that they were supporting and have incredible yeah. like value. But... Um, you know, the idea that they're discovering either American artists or European artists or all different artists from all over the world. It's, yeah. it's really nice to work with collectors like that who are so excited. But I agree with you. I love American collectors, actually, yeah. because there's a kind of history there of collecting. And there's also even things like the the government, um, not, I don't, I'm not talking about the current government, and and but there, there's like historically, there's always yeah. been a kind of um, tax break situation or, or some kind or of encouragement to donate or... to museums and the way that they really try and protect culture. And some of the American <laughs> museums are just like incredible, the collections yeah. they have. Have. But um, they wouldn't exist if it weren't for like individual donors and stuff. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean it's it's so kind of dependent on 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 private support. And you know, the really fascinating thing in my experience, I don't know if yours is the same, Rob, but is that Italian collectors are very much like American collectors in in that they 
they kind of say yes. They're not afraid of the new. They kind of embrace things. They, yeah. they see something, they like it, they buy it. Yes. You know, it's not, it doesn't have to be negotiated or think about it. It's very, there is a very immediate. just like. Yeah, exactly. Have you taken any collectors from your time in Italy to London with you that you followed, that followed your career? Um, well, I mean, with a few people, I have, uh, re I have relationships that have been going on for like 25 years. Yeah. Wow. Actually. Yeah. Not that many because then, because I also think that, you know, frankness, my gallery has changed a lot over the years right. and, and, uh, um, and I think not everyone, you know, obviously like people have their own taste. And also I think our job has changed tremendously over the last, you know, 15 to 20 years. In yes, the sense rapidly that, changing all yeah, the time. Yeah. All the time. In, yeah, what, yeah. in what way mainly would you say? Well, I think people, you know, traditionally, uh, uh, and even it's something that I experienced when I started working, uh, uh, there was this very kind of intimate, very tight relationship between collectors and, and dealers, where they would come to the gallery, hang out, you know, spend a couple of hours talking about art, about shows, and you'd show them things, and it was all very... Now, there, this idea of a loyalty uh, from collectors to galleries, it's like people think it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, there is the, 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 you have access to so much. Mm. The amount of information that you have is so huge and mm. so wide that there is no reason why you would end up just working, you know, buying art from one gallery or two or whatever. Like mm. people know what they want. They're able to pick and choose. So they come to you for something very specific. And then, you know, there are instances when they see other things they like and then, they, you know, they follow through with those. Mm -hmm. But quite often they just, you know, they come, they buy and goodbye and then they move on and then you see them in a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely. know, it's completely different. Yeah. How do you feel being a, a, a collector and then dealing with collectors? Do you feel like it's a kindred spirit or do you... I don't know. You know, it's it's um, for me. It's changed over the years. It's changed so much. My relationship with things changes so much all the time, uh, in the sense that, and also starting to make. You know, and, and that's a re relatively new thing mm. uh, for me because I only started uh, making ceramics uh, ten years ago. I'm for, I'm fifty now, so I was forty then, um, and that has definitely kind of uh, changed my relationship with objects but you know the wonderful thing in my mind is that and i really shouldn't say this because it's like <laughs> totally against my interest but you know you don't really need to own art oh you know this is the gallery <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing you're sabotaging yourself you don't really need you know why 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 do you not need to what well, what is it though is it because we're all collectors <laughs> but what is this how would that's you that's interesting though because you're saying that not just as a gallerist but also as, as a, a maker now yeah. as an artist and a collector yeah how, do you, how do you reduce that thing then of what it is to collect and why should you do you not need to? Okay. So you may want to do it. Mm. And I encourage people to want to do that as much as they can. Because <laughs> it's central <laughs> to our survival. Yeah. But I think, but I think you know, the wonderful thing is that you can, en you can enjoy an artwork as fully by just looking just, just at just it. Yeah. 
Yeah, or you experiencing it. it. You don't have to own love it. Art. Yeah, it belongs true. to everyone. Yes. You know, and that's a wonderful thing about it. And actually, you know? we just met Ian McKellen, the actor, and he has a sculpture in the river outside his house by a very famous British artist, Anthony Gormley. But he was talking about how he almost doesn't own it. He's more of a guardian of it because he has no control over how it's installed or anything. And I love that idea of guardianship somehow. So even if you are a collector, it's not really yours. No. All you're doing is maybe yeah, hopefully yeah. protecting it yeah. for future generations. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You just, you're, 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 uh, you're, you have a, a, a relationship that's, you know, that it's mostly uh, custodianship of this thing. You take care of it as well as you possibly can. And then you will, you know, I will disappear from this planet and this object will continue to exist. Exactly. And yeah. people hopefully will gain as much, you know, love and experience and ideas and information mm. uh, from it as I have. And I love that idea. But our show is meant to be about more people accessing art. And a lot of people feel closed from it because they maybe aren't able to buy art or all these different reasons, mm. or even buy a ticket to a museum or something. But there are so many free places you can go and see art, including contemporary art galleries that aren't the museums. You know, there's so many places. And to encourage people just to go and look at art, even if it's one artwork, is such a great thing to well, think even about. Even if it's on Instagram. I mean, the amount of like art that Absolutely. you're... You, you could be exposed to on Instagram yeah. on a daily basis is incredible. Yeah, on the internet. I mean, guys, how how many hours do you spend on the internet? Hours. Our, yeah, exactly. We keep getting alerts on our iPhone yeah, saying, like, screen mate. time up 17%. I'm Some like, people uh -oh. have got that screen time block thing when you only let's do a few hours and you have to unlock it. I haven't done that yet because no. oh I'll just God. be unlocking it no, no, every no, 20 minutes. Back. So for those who haven't visited Tommaso's gallery before, um, I discovered it maybe 10 years or more ago, no, maybe like 15 years ago. And I remember coming with a young artist friend of mine to see certain shows because also the building where your gallery is your wife is it your wife or, yes yeah, your, your wife's gallery um, Greengrassy is also yep. in the same bu building as Corvi Mora yep. so I would often come to the openings and you'd see two exhibitions and you both have a very different perspective on looking at art and the artists you show That's so right. it was always a really enjoyable experience do you experience. shows at the same time or? always always yeah and it's a really great thing because it means you get completely different audiences mm. all you know together because mm. often individual contemporary galleries might have a very specific audience or followers or collectors and I've always loved the idea of you and your wife having these two galleries side by side. Are you rivals? Yeah. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> oh, absolutely. We sort of hate each other. No, no, no. <laughs> no. And also, you know, it's very, it's very funny because we sort of, we never really talk shop when, when you know, when it's just the two of us mm. or when we're with the kids or whatever. But we talk about either really good things that have happened to us or really bad things. Right. Right. So, you know, and everything else is like, so we know actually very little about each other's yeah. kind of daily business life. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no, is there competitive though with like sales? So say you have a really good like freeze art fair and say your wife doesn't or vice versa. Is there sort of... Or it all goes into well, the joint accounts. It doesn't I, really matter. I don't know. You know, it's it's funny because I'd say no, absolutely not. You know, which we you're actually really supportive of each other if one does well. But it's not true. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like you're quite you want happy. the other one to fail. Yeah. Right. No, but you're you're happy if you've done well. Yeah. And if the other hasn't done as well, well, you know, next time it will happen. Yeah. You know. The thing is, though, I think as well, if you have a say, you have a bad art fair as an example. I think if somebody else has a great art fair, but then the next year you have a great one and they do badly or something, I think you always have that empathy and that understanding of how horrible it is when you yeah. don't do well. So it's almost like even if you are competitive, somehow I don't think it would just. I don't think you can be that competitive. In 
in that sense. Like it's not it would actually just be mean, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I actually have a memory of Cornelia, um, your wife, with Russell in New York. We went to Armory Art Fair years right. ago, and she was showing these amazing like grass green paintings. grass paintings, yeah. and her gallery At was green called Green Grassy. And we had this really long oh, yeah, conversation yeah, with Simon her, Ling. Yeah, yeah. Simon Lingsworth, yeah, exactly, who right. ended up being in the British painting show at Tate yeah. much later. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I remember seeing her at that that opening at Tate and saying to her, "How amazing that now he's in this museum show." Yeah, yeah. And it was a really exciting journey. But we had such a nice conversation with yeah. her, and I fell in love with her that day. And she's an amazing gallerist as well. Well, you know, can I just say, just to make it clear, that anyway, like Cornelia is so much better than I am. Oh. So I have no, you know, like she, she's better looking. She's <laughs> a l- way, way smarter than I am. She has a much better men- memory. She's much better with people. She's great with people. She's great. She's so people. sociable and so fun and always remembers everything you've said to her. Exactly. Like, and I I'm a her. disaster oh. with all of the above. Yeah. So, you know, I'm always <laughs> in awe of her yeah. and, and I'm just like, she's won the battle. She's won the war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, hands up. Mm-hmm. Love that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Let's just get you to London then. So from Cologne, you came to London <laughs> and you opened up a gallery in 1996. 96, yeah. March Robert 96. Prime Gallery was Robert this. Prime, yeah. Well, who, who was Robert Prime? Didn't exist. So he just a, a, Ooh, a that's pseudonym. Cool. <laughs> it was like your... <laughs> yeah, well, because, you know, it was, it was Tommaso Corvimor and Gregorio Magnani. Yes. You can't, you can't really ask people to, you know, to have to say those names. It's yes. just like too much of a mouthful. The Robert Prime. So we were thinking, you know... It sounds like a novelist. Does it? Yeah, that's something about like the deals with lawyers and like the judgmental system in the states. Really? Is that what it brings Robert to mind? Robert Prime sounds like, like a novelist title. Oh my name, god! You can imagine it? like an, ab- oh, a- an advert, yeah. like Robert Prime. Get the lady. <laughs> you had a car crash. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes it sound so quite sleazy. Actually. No, I'm joking. But <laughs> I'll cut that bit out. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it was very. Uh, it, it made very made it very easy and very complicated right. at the same time. Very easy because you just say Robert Prime, you know, what's your, what's your gallery name, Robert Prime. Prime yeah. But it wasn't like, you know, the, the Warren, we were in Warren Street. It wasn't like the Warren Street gallery or whatever. Um, and at the same time, it made it really difficult because it, people would just call up and say, like, and can I, I speak to Robert Prime? Yeah, exactly. And did you have the same taste, you two? Well, we, we got together because we wanted to work with uh, a number of artists, with like 15 artists. Did like Isa Genskin at the time? Isa. General Idea. Did general you know? Idea, yeah. exactly. Candida Herfer. Wow. Uh, and then the first show was Dominique Gonzalez first. Uh-huh. And then we worked with uh, Leon Gillick, with Lothar Hempel, with. Um, we did a show with Martin Maloney. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, we. Yeah. It was a great gallery. Mm-hmm. It was. And also. 
If you're interested in the in the history of the gallery, on my website, I have a list of every show I've ever done in London. Wow! So so you can you can actually see through the the lot your genesis. That's great, amazing. Yeah. So then that that then changed, and you you both separated in 1999. Yeah, the end of 99. Yes. So so we we spent five years together. Uh, well, yeah, four years together, whatever. And it was really fantastic. Yeah. And also, it was such a magical time. Uh, you know, and the, the everyone was so supportive. The art world was so small. You know, you've heard this story many yeah, times. Yeah. And then in 2000, um, Gregorio opened on his own uh, on Commercial Street. Mm -hmm. And I opened on my own. I stayed in, in Warren Street for a few more years and then we moved to Kennington. And what was it like to move to Kennington, being in South London? Because where you are is kind of off the beaten track. Mm -hmm. How was that? At the beginning, it was absolutely terrifying. Because mm -hmm. it was t totally different, mm -hmm. complete. You know, in my old gallery, I was in the in basically in the window, so I could see everyone who came in, and all of a sudden, my off my office was elsewhere, was not in reception, mm -hmm. uh, and it was a completely different kind of pace because uh, we were not in a circuit, we were not in the East, in the West End. It was a, but over time, it became so. I'm so happy and grateful to have done that. Uh, you know, and and Rob, I'm sure uh, you will experience that. There's there's so much value into being on the you know a bit on the outside of things. Definitely, I mean, it's totally moving to Margate for us has totally transformed it. And it's interesting because I actually thought when we first opened in Margate and people were coming down, I actually genuinely thought about your gallery because I remember coming in about 2005. I was hanging out a lot of the time with a young painter from London, and she she was the one that told me to come because I think her friend was like even cooking or something at your openings. Right, something. You okay. used to have food and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So she knew um, the Travers sisters, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, Kitty. Um, yeah. Kitty, exactly. Yeah. So they were doing stuff there. So I came down because of them. And um, I remember it being really, because at the time I was so used to all the either East End galleries or Central London galleries, and there was no other galleries in my head. And then when I went to Kennington, it was like really like an adventure. And even though it was within London, <laughs> I remember thinking like, this is, feels so weird because it wasn't what you expect somehow. Yeah. And then when you get to your building it's like this very self-contained kind of because there's two galleries there it's actually quite a large building so it's definitely got its own kind of footprint in a way and mm. you you arrive there and you have a very interesting way of walking through the building as mm. well mm. and um yeah and, and very sociable because people would all come there and they'd be so excited because you, you don't you, you would stay and i remember it very clearly which is something carl and i've been talking a lot about which is it slowed me down Mm -hmm. because it meant that I couldn't run off to another gallery five minutes later. Yeah. I used to stay at your gallery for like an hour well, or it was two hours. It was the destination. Yeah, exactly. There. You weren't passing And that's exactly. that was, definitely yeah. something that's happening in Margate. Yeah. And this idea yes. of slowing people down now, yeah. Yeah. you know, is even more important. important. Yes, And indeed. that's also why I've always liked your gallery because I feel like you as a person as well, when I have conversations with you, that they are a bit kind of like more thoughtful and I'd never felt like you were a flashy kind of gallerist. You were always someone who had incredible kind of um, intellect but also like integrity and Thank you know you. to work with people like you have done even if you think about Roger Heons you think about Lynette um, Yadon Boachi you think of I don't know um, Felix Gonzalez Torres like all these exhibitions I've seen mm -hmm. that they're, they're just breathtaking soulful you know wonderful exhibitions and mm. I really if you haven't been to Tommaso's gallery I really recommend going yeah um, please come so talking about <laughs> Lynette's work so you started working with Lynette who's one of our biggest like assets in this country the most incredible artist yeah. who's doing incredible things and changing the dialogue of what it is to do portraiture you started working with her in 1998 mm -hmm. <clears throat> and now she's become 
Uh, no, in 2010 years ago. Oh, 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. But Only you've known us since 1998. I think I read that somewhere. Well, well, I, I actually... No, 98 is far too early, okay. actually. But I did see her degree show right. at the RA. Um, what and year I, was that? That no. was in 2003. Okay, okay. okay. 2003. Um, and I was completely... You know, I was very impressed by it. Yeah. It was very strong work. And at the time, the work was, was kind of rougher yes um and it was more you know a bit more caricatural in the in in the way that the figures were uh were painted uh but it had an energy and i was like wow this is really interesting you know i'll keep an eye on it and then and then i did so and then but you know by good fortune she actually did a show um at gasworks which was very important also within her work in the sense that it's a show that kind of marks the moment uh, where she, where her work becomes formally a lot closer to what we know. Yes. Um, so she predominantly paints from memory. She never paints from life. It's they're actually imaginary, imaginary characters. characters. Yeah. Right. So she makes them up. Yes. Um, she works from these sketchbooks that she has that have photographs, drawings, mm-hmm. like a mixture. But there's never an immediate kind of correlation between the image she starts from. And the image she then ends up with, she's looking at certain positions or, you know, the way certain figures relate to each other. Or clothing, how clothing is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But everything else is comes from, from her imagination. And mm-hmm. she sort of, you know, and there is this narrative element in her work that I think is very strong where you, where you just by looking at someone's face, you can mm-hmm. imagine what they've done, who they are, what the kind of personality they have. I mean, I think she's amazing. Amazing. I, yeah. I've always loved the work, um, particularly not, I, I didn't see the most recent exhibition at your mm. gallery, but the one before that. <laughs> I remember coming into that show and just being so blown away by the sensuality of it. Yeah. And the idea of, like like Russell said, with the clothing, yeah. she has such an understanding of how to paint clothing somehow, mm. which is so unique to her. Yeah. And even if but it's like pop, a silk shirt. colours always pop. They're always yeah, like a, not a beautiful pink but or it's a kind green. Of the way, or... yeah. For me, like the, the, the silk shirt, or something would like hang off the bodies yes, or yes. or just this kind of this understanding and it's it's such a kind of um em- empathetic way of painting somehow like she yeah, really cares yeah. about these people yeah you can and, feel the fabric through the paint yeah. it's like yeah. very skillful yeah yeah, yeah so yeah, as, yeah. as a gallerist so she is it's like to use the term parenthesis hot like mm-hmm. incredibly hot everybody wants a lynette work she's institutionally incredibly well supported so how as a gallerist does that feel there's a few questions here, but from following and supporting her and representing her from kind of early days and now where she is, do you, the, the pride you must feel. But then how do you manage expectations for the artist, for yourself, for her future, for the collectors? What sort of situation is that to be put into? Well, you know, it's been an incredible 10 years. I mean, a, a, a wonderful journey with her. Um, her work was always well supported, actually, since since i mean that's something that i always experienced since we started working together uh lynette doesn't really need uh much kind of help or support from my side because she isn't you know she is so grounded Mm -hmm. she has such an incredible personality Mm -hmm. she's so focused and has such incredible discipline in terms of putting the work first and being really only interested in her work, making it her family, you know, like there's no, there's no, 
all all of the other kind of accessory stuff that's that surrounds the kind of art world like the glamour the parties the yeah. this the that the private the money stuff. and the fame yeah yes she's completely uninterested in it yeah and, I think uh, she almost finds it entertaining, like funny. I remember talking to her a few times, and she sort of just always laughs, yeah, and as if it's a bit kind of ridiculous somehow. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, she definitely appreciates um, when people love and respond to the work. Yeah. So she, on, on a soul level and on a kind of emotional level, she definitely, um, I think she, you can see that she uh, appreciates that. Yeah. yeah. But she has, like yourself, like just integrity, really, and such focus, and also she knows who she is and what she wants she to do. Like she and, also feels like she's yeah. part of like a, a crew. There's such a tight crew. I'm talking about like Lisa Bryce and mm-hmm. Toyin and Juro mm-hmm. Aluo. Mm-hmm. It feels like mm-hmm. there's a little kind of squad that really support and love and protect each mm-hmm. other. Yeah, and like they're, really and they're great all, friendship. And yeah. they're all like like soaring. Yeah. Doing, so you could look at Lisa Bryce recently, her yeah. show, like Stephen Freeman, yeah. her during Freeze, was just like next level, mind-blowing, incredible work. And it feels like they just really ground each other and support each other. And that feels like an amazing thing in the totally, artwork yeah. right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Enduro actually um, was talking about it uh, in an interview uh, not not long ago, and he was talking about like not drinking the Kool Aid, you know, and that is so important. What does that? What do you mean by that? You know, by that I mean just not believing the hype, you know, and you and just to stay focused on what is important to you, uh, to stay critical yeah. as well, mm. you know, to sort of question things, uh, don't take things for granted, don't accept the status quo, the way things are 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 being done. Uh, I think professionally also for us as people who run galleries, that's absolutely fundamental. And I have been pleading, and if I haven't done it with you, Rob, I'll do mm, it now. Mm. Let's break this art fair thing because it's ridiculous. Mm, mm, mm. I do two art fairs a year now. What do you do? I do uh, Freeze London because mm-hmm. you have to. And it's like it's it's been so important, I think, for us. Yeah, uh, definitely. In the calendar, yeah. Exactly. And I do uh, Me Art. Mm. At, aka my art in <clears throat> Milan in Milan yeah right which is like you're going a, back to see your friends exactly nice it's nice I mean you we, know? We, we don't do many art fairs anymore there was yeah. one year maybe like eight years ago when I first started you know ten you're years doing ago them all. I was doing all the time oh. and I, I was only in London for three weeks that year no, or something no, no, and no. I got so ill afterwards yeah. and um, it's not healthy no. but like I was talking about slowing people down mm. I think yeah. it's also important if you have an exhibition you do not need to sell it out yeah. like it's of course it's important to sell work and to yes. support the artist financially but you can keep seven of the ten works you yeah. don't need to sell them all at once yeah. and t- sometimes taking a slower approach there's a painter I work with in Germany called Tilo Heinzmann who's mm-hmm. always telling me we take it slow you mm-hmm. know and he's got a long vision for his work he's yeah. not in a rush yeah. and I think we don't need to be in a rush no. yeah. And um, how do you navigate a hype though how do you navigate the hype when, when everybody wants to work? You so you must be so getting bombarded. Because you're looking at people like you support, uh, you represent like Alvaro Barrington as mm-hmm. well. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Packer is mm-hmm. doing incredibly well. I think mm-hmm. she's got I a big institutional work. show coming yeah. up. Oh, yeah. Amazing. I'm like, I've been talking to you about Jennifer Packer. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, how do you um, navigate that? How do you navigate this bombardment when people are like, I want it, I want it? Well, you know, I think I think you have to be extremely careful and you try to be as careful as you possibly can. In terms of choosing who 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 gets to work, mm. and you have to work uh, very hard and getting to know people as well as you possibly can. Do you always prioritize an institution over a collector? Well, yes. I mean that that you 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 do every time, always. Uh, uh, but also, uh, you know, I think that when you're dealing with with um, when you're dealing with painters, I think it's almost unavoidable to have a, a, a private ownership 
sphere as an important component of the the equation, as it were. Uh-huh. You know, because it's like there there is something that I think is very intimate. And now I'm contradicting myself because, you know, there's something really beautiful about ownership of something that you have hanging on your wall and that you see every day. Uh, And that, uh, in the very personal relationship that you've set up between yourself and something that lives with you and a painting that lives with you is, uh, you know, is is absolutely wonderful. And I think incredibly enriching. It's that dialogue that you You have with these works that live in your peripheral the whole time yeah, it, it it's creates such a precious you. incredible it's like thing. i come home and i'm like oh i know where i'm at because there's things these objects that are around me that mm. are just make me feel like grounded i guess mm. or centered somewhere it's amazing and then yeah. art does that for me that makes me feel like i'm somewhere i belong to be where i'm at exactly and you know i think there is incredible value also in the in the passage of time in that relationship mm. you know and how how the passing of time kind of changes that relationship mm-hmm. and so so when when I when I have to choose the people who I, I can entrust with work by uh, my artists, I try to go for people who will actually have it hanging in their homes, you know, and yeah. who will live with it, and yeah. who have, you know, who understand the custodianship, who yeah. understand the importance of that relationship. Definitely. So yeah. talking about living with art. We live with your art. So Rob was saying earlier on that he's got 45 of your parts. I, I, I actually have, have, I have 12. I have 12 and now I I've have got 11. One. Well, we can improve on that. I, no, I, I've got 12 and now I have 11 because I gave one to Yes, Russia. and I have one and I have one that's been in on order with you for probably about a year and a half now because right, there, was this, right. you, there was this... Uh, do you know Fishley Vice uh, works? And there was, I remember seeing this clay dog pole at yeah. the Guggenheim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, about a year ago, you posted one that was like bright cartoon, like Simpsons yellow with mm-hmm. jewels around mm-hmm. it. And I was like, I want that. And mm-hmm. he was like, it's sold. I'll make you another one. Mm-hmm. So I sort of said, Aww. tell me when. I'm still waiting for it. It will, it will happen. Now I'm, sta- yeah, now I'm starting as of, I think in a couple of weeks, I'll start working with Earthenware. And with that, with painting the thank you, the, the, All right? And it's it. on your, it's on my list. Woo! Great. <laughs> what is that like being an artist now, yeah. though, and a gallerist and a, all of that? Well, you know, I t- I take it with a bit of a pinch of salt. I have to say, in the sense that it's something I really love, and it's been incredible for me to have this outlet, and and to actually spend time in a studio. Because where is your studio? It's near the gallery. Okay, it's near the gallery, which makes it very convenient. And it has a potter's wheel and a kiln. And, yeah, yeah. And you share it with other ceramicists. No. It's no. all yours. It's all mine. Oh. <laughs> we'll have to do a talk out there at some point. <laughs> so good. Yes. Exactly. So how so often selfish. do you take yourself there? How do you work that with your gallery schedule? Well, I try to go if I can. I try to if I'm in London and if I have the time, I try to go in every day. But wow. even, you know, there were Bruce Nauman said something really amazing about, and, and Gary Richter too, actually, they both talk about like going into the studio every day. Even if I go for 10 minutes, you know, and just like tidy something up. Also, you know, working with clay is wonderful because you, you can, once you know it, once you know the material a little bit, you can really kind of determine the speed at which you work it. So you can slow it down and you can speed it up. You can... Uh, you can create the conditions whereby you just need to maybe like go in for five minutes to check it and you mm-hmm. touch it a little bit. You make sure that it's at the right, uh, um, you know, at the right kind stage. of stage of maturation, yep. as it were. And then you can leave again. So it, it makes it very easy. But it's so wonderful for me to have this moment where I can say, OK, you know, I'm having a bit of a crisis here at the gallery. You know, I got this thing that it's like a real pain. Let me just 
go away. It's your happy place. Yeah, and take a deep breath for five minutes and then go back. And then, you know, it just made it all so much more human. And it changed your life, finding, creating art at a later stage in your life. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I it's so brilliant and so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. It kind of has because, you know, it's a wonderful thing to do. It just makes you feel so good. You know, and also when when you realize that people are actually enjoying these things that you've made and you don't have to, and you can just let go of them, it's just fantastic. I, I discovered your work actually thanks to Duro. So I knew mm-hmm. you before that as From a gallerist, shop in, but I went to his shop yeah. in Mason's Yard. Yeah. And Duro's shop, if you haven't been there, is incredible. A, he's an amazing visionary fashion designer and makes beautiful clothes for predominantly for women. But mm. um, his shop is so beautifully curated. Yes. And I used to go in there because some of my friends like Laurie and a few people were collecting his clothes like i say collecting actually because i think his his clothes are like art in a way yeah and um i went in there and i started seeing all these little objects and he has also really great artworks so he often curates yes. almost like a mini exhibition and it's not put on as necessarily as an exhibition but at the time i started going there more regularly you were actually having an exhibition there yeah and i didn't realize there were you were the same tomaso <laughs> and when I, I i bought some and then i sort of realized it was you and i remember writing to you and just being like i can't a i can't believe this is you <laughs> and b like thank you because i just feel such a connection to yeah, you, thank you but, so we have to to say thank you to Duro for <laughs> yes, that introduction. But the other thing, which I think is really fascinating, and one of the reasons I really wanted to invite you on to talk art, was because of your gallery program. Because what I love, and I think is really brave about what you did, maybe in 2013, that kind of time, um, that's when I noticed it anyway, but you were sort of beginning to involve ceramics and mm-hmm. um, uh, in a contemporary art context. Mm-hmm. And some ceramic artists, so I think you even showed Fishley and Vice, actually, didn't you? At one yeah, point. yeah, yeah. But, so you've definitely shown artists who work with ceramics or clay. But you've been starting to bring in like vessels or jugs or, and I remember hearing a quote you said about um, one of the artists you work with and how having his jug in the, in the exhibition alongside a photograph, say by Fishley and Vice, Mm -hmm. that might be incredibly like red and saturated and shiny. And then you've Mm -hmm. got the the surface of the clay. Mm -hmm. And I loved this idea that you were bringing in ceramics into an art context, because to you, it didn't matter about whether ceramics were art or not art. And that that question wasn't important. That's right. Um, but, I, they, but you do say there is always a struggle between art and craft when it comes to ceramics. Yes, I mean, there's you know, it's interesting because at the beginning, so the 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 one thing that brought me into making really, or that I learned through making really, was was the whole tradition of British studio pottery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. You know, which is uh, incredible. It's something so interesting, also because it's so specific to Britain, yes. to its culture. I, in my mind, also very much to its relationship to modernism. So we're talking about Hans Cooper, Lucy Ray. Yeah, but even before then, okay. Yeah, even before Bernard Leach, you have people in in the very early twentieth century, like uh, uh, State Murray, for example. Um, and you have a moment in the twenties when pots, when sort of big vases, decorated vases, are shown uh, with like Ben Nicholson, yeah. uh, with sculpture with mm. painting and it's mm. considered all on a par right and that was an amazing moment then there's something that happens there's a shift that happens actually with bernard leach mm-hmm. where he starts talking about the importance of the functional side of pottery yeah and so it's 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 so weird because it's actually a practitioner who sort of like br- drags it back into craft right. and then that's been such a such a huge kind of problematic uh, dichotomy between art and craft that's been dragging on for decades and decades. So my idea was to kind of go back to the 20s to say, okay, well, I have these objects that are just as individual and original as artworks. 
Let's put them together and see what happens. And it's been a fantastic, and it's true, it happened, its first show was in 2013, and it's been a wonderful kind of journey, and that continues. And, and you know, there's always something more. There's always a... Uh, I, I really like showing artists with uh, ceramic artists, and it, it kind of creates all sort of interesting connections and links. It's wonderful. And I love the Welsh um, potter that you work with, Adam uh, artist you work with, Adam Buick. Yeah. And every time I see one in, in, in your gallery or in the art fairs or whatever, it always stays in my head. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it's because I'm Welsh, but um, like, you know, historically, <laughs> but I, I love him so much. Yeah, and um, yeah. I didn't know you were Welsh. Yeah, my, my parents were both Welsh. Oh my, my god! My dad was from Tenby, my mum was from Newport. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I, I grew up I, in England. So yeah. I, and he lives in Margate now. In case you didn't know that. <laughs> so uh, where can we see your work? Because you have an Instagram for your ceramics, don't yeah, you? Yeah, that's right. What's that's, your Instagram? It's TCM Ceramics. Great. And where can we see your ceramics? Duro store and well, um, yeah, Duro uh, carries my work every once in a while. Usually every couple of years or when you know. But he's been. I have to thank him publicly here because he's been. So incredibly supportive uh, of of my work, yeah. and and I I consider myself so lucky and privileged because he's such an amazing person, yeah. so amazing. He also has such an amazing eye mm. and generosity of spirit. Oh my god! And even like the kind of fashion collection that he has of like old objects of like he'll he'll like collect things from the twenties or yeah. gold lame or all yeah, these different yeah, things, yeah. and just little like I don't know objects he has yeah. in like in like a vitrine Vitrines, or something. He is a, he's got an amazing eye, yeah. and I think you know if you go to his store you'll you'll see what we're so talking about. So where can about. we see your work now then? Well, I will have a few works at Collect, uh, possibly. I have to knock on wood, but I knock, don't want to. <laughs> knock on my yeah. head, knock on my head. Okay. <laughs> it's very wooden. Knock on my head, yeah, it's hollow. <laughs> Yes, uh, but we, we actually have a studio visit on Monday, so I don't want to jinx Ooh. it. Ooh. Can you so represent good. yourself? No, oh, I'm why never not? gonna. That'd be a conflict. Can your wife? Rep- can your wife represent <laughs> no. your work? No, okay. <laughs> definitely not. Do you live with your work that. at home? Yeah, yeah, because oh, you do? yeah, 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 because we do. I made everything, so we eat off my work. No. <laughs> So I love when you that. come when you so guys cool. come for oh dinner, yeah, we steal it. We're still we'll the steal it. You'll take it home. <laughs> I actually just went to Sophie von Hellman's house yeah. um, in Margate, and she's she's made a whole tea set. She's got this giant teapot <laughs> yeah. with all her paintings on oh, and all the t- plates and everything. So nice. I love artists like who yeah, make living um, with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I must say, That's I like struggle. Did that. Alexander Calder did that. Made a lot of jewelry for his wife. And yeah, made all right. that, Toys for totally. the kids. And, and Catherine yeah. Bernhardt does it a lot too. Oh, really? But um, I I really struggle at home with your work because I always want to use it, but I never have the guts because I love them as art objects so I sort of have them on the side in the kitchen and then I'm like mm, I'm not actually going to even put water near that even use though I can them, use them, use I know them. you always tell me to use them but I struggle myself with this idea of like uh, something being you yes. know a vessel to use but yes. then also yeah but um, you fetishize it I do it I just, they're just so beautiful we fetishize you yeah, thank you so much <laughs> yeah. I'm loving this and also I've still got um, the certificate that you signed because we got um, a lot of our editions of yours from Camden Art Centre oh, and the one that I gave Russell after I gave it to him I suddenly yeah. realised I've still got the certificate yeah. and it's become an ongoing joke on WhatsApp where he's where's like morning where's my Tomazo certificate because it's not or, legit and also I, I promised <laughs> I was going to give him it and it became yeah. this whole joke of where's my Tomazo and it was like morning where's my Tomazo like daily yeah. until I gave him he's it. finding us weird now but we just got to say Camden Arts Centre Ceramic Fellowship they have they're incredibly supportive part of Camden Arts Centre's history for many many years they've been really at the forefront of that right that's right and in February uh, they they have a ceramic evening where uh, 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 two or three makers are called in uh, to donate work 
um, and the revenue from that goes to the ceramic the uh, program. The program. Are you exactly. one of these artists? Yes. Oh, congratulations! So I'll be there in February so, again, and you'll be making work and selling work there. I'll just be showing my work there and selling it. Amazing. Yeah. And also, you were in a show at Camden Art Centre curated by Duro, by Duro which was yeah. called Making Making and Unmaking, Making and Unmaking. Yeah, and there's a really beautiful incredible. book that's associated with it. Yeah. 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 Um, and you can see images of that online. And I was really surprised because I went to Bermondsey to another friend's exhibition and then ended up in your exhibition yeah. in Bermondsey. <laughs> And you'd completely transformed what you were doing. And it was really <laughs> shocking to me because I was like, this is so different, but so genius. Because yeah. it was almost like these kind of very insane colours of portraits of men and women on yeah. these on these vases. Yeah. And you had this great installation, which I almost bought, but I was renovating a house and had no money left, literally. <laughs> but it was like... I don't know, it was a whole collection of these little yeah, vases right, with faces on. Right, exactly. And then you also made an edition of those later. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And yeah. one of the artists you work with who I love is Richard Hawkins yeah. in Los Angeles. Yes. And I went to his studio because yeah. he's worked with ceramics as well. Yeah. And when I saw them, they reminded me a <laughs> tiny bit of Richard in a way of like some of his insane of paintings. Course, of course, I could see the kind of subconscious influence there. Absolutely. But, but I love Richard Hawkins. And yeah. also there's so many artists um, at Camden Art Centre uh, if you think of like Grantchester Pottery and mm -hmm. even Anthony Gormley who worked there when he was younger. Mm -hmm. So Camden Art Centre and Jenny Lomax's era there yeah. was such an important thing for ceramics. Yeah, absolutely. Art. Carolina Shaintra. But you know, can I just add one thing that actually really, I am actually looking for representation. So. You are. <laughs> right, good. You can use talk art to tout that. Definitely, <laughs> exactly. we will promote you. So we ask every guest that comes on two really serious questions. The first one is, if you could do an art heist and you could steal any work of art in the world and you could live with it legally forever, mm. what would that be and why? Well, you know, it's got to be Untitled Perfect Lovers. The Felix Gonzalez Torres piece of the, you know, the two mm. clocks yeah, I love uh, that. next to each other. I love that. I love that piece so much. And what's amazing about those clocks is that it's a, they're both timepieces. They're both told at the exact same time, but every now and then they fall out of sync with each other. Yeah. There's, there's no oh re God. rhyme or reason why, yeah. but it's about what it is to be with your lover. Is yeah. that You might be perfect, but you're never completely in tune and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 Fe I used to know Felix wow. uh, quite well and I love his work mm. and I've always I discovered it very early on actually when when I was in my early 20s and I fell in love with it and we started corresponding um and uh and he's one of my you know all-time heroes yeah. and I love the simplicity you know that gesture is so simple you just mm. take you, you know you go to a the shop you yeah. buy two clocks you hang them on the wall and then you make something that just resonates with people so much yeah. and that carries so much meaning. I think he's incredible. Yeah, me incredible. Too. And the second question we ask every guest is, what is your favorite color? Well, my favorite color is brown. Of course. Brown? Brown? Yes. Like, 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 your <laughs> like your ceramics? Like your ceramics? You know, I never There's thought of it. There's a lot of brown it. in your ceramics. <laughs> there is quite a lot. Well, yeah, I've got a brown pot. That's what I've got. <laughs> and I, I've even got that. I've got two pots. One's white, almost like porcelain, and then with a brown mark on it. And yeah. then the other one is a brown, yeah. um, more like earthenware kind of thing, with a porcelain white yeah, with dot a white on mark, it. And they're yeah. like a pair. Yeah. I have the pair. Yeah, yeah, yeah the so pair. Brown. Exactly. Well done. <laughs> no, brown, I think, is such a... I don't know. I just love the warmth. Uh, of it I think yeah. it's uh, you know and Earthy. this is a brown room so it's yeah, perfect yeah, yeah. and it's from the earth I guess and I'm a Virgo so. you're a Virgo yes is that you're a, about to say you're a virgin is that a brown sign Virgo is it a brown sign well it's an earth sign you ah. should know these things oh, you're so <laughs> you should know my horoscopes do you think if you had discovered uh, making ceramics at a young age at 19 when you went to gallery system you might have gone down the more art route than being a gallerist 
you know, I I don't know. I don't know, but I love what I do. I mean, I love the gallery so much. Yeah. And I just, it's so enriching. And, you know, what's really fantastic is that now I've been doing it for 30 years mm -hmm. and it's just so incredible because it's so, you know, because I I carry all this baggage, yeah. but but it's, but it's um, I still enjoy it, you know, and I've, not every day actually, but quite often I feel as excited about it as I did when I was 19. So I don't, I would never uh, uh, forsake my work as a gallerist because I think it's fantastic. You're a legend. And we're really grateful for you as a gallerist and a ceramicist yes. and just as a great person. So yes. thank you so thank much you for coming so on to Walk And for everyone listening, there are two very key Instagrams you need to follow. One is TCM Ceramics, which is Tommaso Corvimora's beautiful ceramics that Russell and I collect and covet. And Rob the other, more obsessively. Yeah. <laughs> and the other is Corvimora, um, C-O-R-V-I-M-O-R-A, which is the gallery. So please follow him there and we'll be posting images on our Instagram at TalkArt yes. of every artwork we've discussed and in if you're interested episode. in representing Tommaso's work as a ceramicist <laughs> we'll give please you his number yes. <laughs> All right. or maybe I should yes, be representing Tommaso. I love Tommaso. Um, well thank you for coming on we really appreciate it and um, thank you we're so big much fans. for having me big it's love. Been fantastic. Cheers, everyone. thanks everyone thank bye. You. Bye. bye you've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey follow us on Instagram at Talk Art where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.